Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are talking, just starting to talk about formal methods for cryptocurrency, distributed ledger, technology, all that kind of stuff. And uh, <laughs> as I told you last time, it's a, it's an endeavor that I was waiting for as a researcher and academic. I was kind of, where's, where's the stampeding hordes of formal methods researchers um, who are you know, going to take a look at this problem because this is an area where people have a desperate need to make sure that code is absolutely perfect so that it can't be hacked um, as it's going to sit there and run out in plain sight handling obscene amounts of money. I mean, it's like the equivalent of bank software, but instead of being, I, I had a, there was a graduate of UIWA sometime, some years ago, if you're listening, um, hello, hello, and uh, who was telling me, he went to work for a, uh, at a bank in Des Moines, and he said, yeah, they showed me this line of COBOL that is responsible for billions of dollars. I forgot the number he said, but a lot of money uh, moving. And it's kind of, yeah. So this is sort of like that, but instead of being locked deep in the recesses of some ancient mainframe in a bank, right, this is just out on the internet for everybody to take a look at and try to blast away at. So cryptocurrency... Uh, you know, has a tremendous need for formal verification. And again, as I was learning about cryptocurrency and, and everything, I was kind of like, where's all the formal methods researchers? Well, <laughs> there was one guy who got it right away or got it very early on. And this is Grigore Rosu of University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. And he, uh, it seems, and I've, I know Grigore I mean, I haven't seen him for many years just for my own lack of uh, travel and stuff, but, um, you know, it's, he, uh, he was an early recognizer and I think has been rewarded because I was amazed to see the company that he started based on technology he had developed in academia um, is now, a, it's got a lot of people. I mean, I've, this is called runtime verification and uh, they, they are, you know, making waves for applying some academic research, in particular something that Grigori developed called the K framework. They're applying it to, well, all kinds of problems, but they've definitely gone pretty strongly in on applying it to um, verify, you know, tackling problems in verification for cryptocurrency. Um, so anyway, that company, I think I was, I was looking on the company webpage, I think it said it was founded in 2010, something like that. So... Um, 12 years later, it's a, it's a real deal thing. And, um, they have, uh, I, I'm sorry if you hear background noise, it's dumping rain here in Iowa right now. Like, like, uh, just like in November might do. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they created something called, um, so I, I want to tell you a little bit today. Um, they, they used their technology to verify properties and uncover, some, at least let's call them assumptions that need to be made explicit in uh, this Dexter exchange that I talked about um, uh, the, this first episode of this new chapter and new season. And so they, I want to tell you um, a little bit about the technology that they applied as well as I have been able to figure it out what it is. Um, and because I, there's some pretty interesting ideas hiding there. So, um, actually they're not hiding, they're ex very strongly advertised. So, uh, they used, um, engineers from runtime verification 
used a tool called K. Mickelson. Now, Mickelson is the name for the um, low-level programming language that is used on Tez for Tezos, the Tezos blockchain, which we started talking about a little bit last time. And um, Mickelson is a stack-based, it's a low-level stack-based language, and your smart contract that's running out there on the distributed computer that constitutes Tezos, uh, it's your contract sort of kicks off and it has some state that it gets. Initially, it sets the state when the contract is deployed. Uh, and then every time the contract's invoked, the, the current value of the state is passed into the contract um, on, the, on some kind of stack structure. And then the contract executes various operations that are in the, you know, the Mickelson language to manipulate the stack. Um, and at the end, it's spitting out basically a new value for the, the state. That, that's uh, persistent across invocations of the smart contract, as well as some um, operations that it wants uh, the Tezos framework to perform for it, like transfers of funds for for one, um, and also invocations of other, you know, other invocations of smart contracts, um, including recursive ones, I believe, but um, other invoking other contracts as well. So anyway, so Kay Mickelson is and this is this is really pretty cool. From a computer science perspective, K. Mickelson is a description of the operational semantics of Mickelson. In other words, how does how do Mickelson programs execute in a you know perf in gory detail? It's there's a description of this in this K framework because indeed the idea of this K framework of Rosu at all is to um, to have a language in which you can describe operational semantics for various other languages. And so we're going to have one language in which you can write down um, the semantics for Java or JavaScript or um, Ethereum or um, Tezos. And I, they've done many of these. C, all these languages I'm listing, these are not just hypotheticals. They've actually carried out this exercise. And I remember um, initially... Um, with all apologies to any friends uh, in that gang who are listening. Initially, I have to confess, I was a little skeptical about this. Some of the earlier, I couldn't really get like what was the big deal about doing this. And also some of the earlier advertising seemed a little overblown. But I, some years ago, I was talking to a compilers researcher who I really respect, who basically said that those guys, these guys with using this K framework, have have basically created the most accurate semantic description of the C language that exists. So, um, so it's, it's real. I mean, they can, and you say, well, I don't really get it. And I would also partly say this. It's kind of like, well, if you're looking for one language in which you can describe the semantics of lots of other languages, how about just using a programming language? Like, why not just writing, you're just saying Java is going to be our language and we're going to use it to um, describe the semantics of other languages. Because, of course, you can do that, right? I mean, these are <laughs> universal languages. They can describe the behavior of other languages. Um, perf you know, they, they have perfect capacity for describing other languages according to the Church-Turing thesis. I'm teaching theory of computation this semester, so yes. Church-Turing thesis says that all these different computational formalisms are equivalent. They can all simulate each other. So pick whatever you like. Pick Pascal, pick JavaScript, pick assembly. You can use that as a sort of universal language to describe the semantics of other computational formalisms. This is really great. Um, 
and of course, really, you know, an amazing thing about um, about computation and, and compute computational models. But the point I think with K, this K framework is that the idea is to pick a language which, while being really um, pretty minimalistic and intended to be kind of lightweight, unlike say Java, which is not minimalistic or lightweight. Uh, it's sort of better suited for describing operational semantics than just a general purpose programming language. So you could say, let's have an operational semantics oriented programming language, and we'll use that to um, describe all these operational semantics for different languages. And that's exactly what K purports to be. And, and you know, I'm, I'm prepared to say I'm convinced that indeed it is. Uh, the, the language itself is based on rewriting and some kind of idea of uh, so very rewriting just is like I start out with one expression and I'm going to transform it using some simple, pure functional rules. Uh, and so they can give, they have given, the K people have given uh, these kind of descriptions for many different languages, including Mickelson. And you say, okay, all right, you know, that sounds cool, but like, what's kind of the point of that? Well, the vision that Rosu articulates in a number of papers, and in fact, the vision is articulated repetitively. Um, but I think that's acceptable because it is, a, you know, it's an important and powerful vision. The idea is like, we're going to just have a, a system where you can, for any, any language, any semantics, operational semantics you can describe uh, in our K language, we're going to then deliver to you a suite of tools for working with that language. Um, things like parsers and stuff like that, interpreters, these are natural. I mean, the whole idea of having this K semantics for these different uh, languages is that you can then execute them. I mean, they, they give you an ex. Well, you could have such a framework that's not executable, but it's natural to expect that if you have an op operational semantics oriented language, one of the things it wants to let you do is run the you know programs using that operational semantics. And indeed, K does come you know can interpret programs using the semantics for the language that you you've specified, um, but it can do more. And so they, they talk about um, the fact that they can then generate, they, they basically can provide for you verification tools based on that semantics. And this makes a lot of sense. I mean, in type theory, which this is the Iowa type theory commute, so we can talk about this, right? So we have, there's a notion of computation that's part of the type theory. And then there's sort of rules, right? Because it's basically conversion when you say, are these two expressions equivalent, you you need to run code. You need to run, you know, pure code in, in a, you know, pure typed lambda calculus, possibly with data types and stuff. But you're, you're running an interpreter as part of your type checking process. And so it makes a lot of sense to say, well, say that in that language that you're interpreting weren't sort of fixed as part of your type theory, but it was kind of a parameter. Um, and so you could have a different operational semantics for different kinds of terms. And then we want to have some reasoning formalism that would let you reason um, based on that operational semantics. Like prove, you know, things like, um, you know, a program, this particular program could never um, reach this particular state. Um, and indeed, reachability logic is the name of the logic that is um, advertised for K. Uh, I haven't really dug into... Uh, the papers there. There's quite a lot of papers on this stuff from Rosu and from runtime verification. So, um, but anyway, so with Kay Mickelson, the idea is that they have, they, uh, you know, they have the semantics for Mickelson. And another selling point is 
this is the low-level semantics. A lot of, you know, I, I gather that Tesla's programmers would generally prefer to use a higher-level language that would then compile to Mickelson, but they don't have to worry about, oh, what if there's a bug in the compiler or this or that, because their tools are aiming to operate at the Mickelson level. They're good, they would like to prove properties directly of the Mickelson code, not of the, um, the source code that might have been compiled to that. And they explain in the report that I found on their webpage about this that um, they, they looked at the higher level code, which is in some language called Lego. They looked at the higher level code and kind of figured out, and mercifully, you know, that's the nice thing about smart contracts, at least the ones I'm aware of are my, my amateur knowledge is that they are not humongous pieces of code. It's not like we're talking about like billions of lines of code here. We're talking about like hundreds of lines of code. So they've, they've looked at those hundreds of lines of code for Dexter 2 by hand, and they kind of looked at it and were like, well, this seems like these properties should be true. So they kind of figured out what some things should be, that should, what are some things that should be true. And then they basically said, okay, then they wrote in their K language, they translated by hand, I suppose. Um, actually, I'm not really sure. I shouldn't say that. I don't know how they, they might have, their parser tools that they generate from the semantic, operational semantics of Mickelson, maybe they could apply that to just translate a Mickelson program um, for Dexter 2, the Mickelson um, compiled programs for Dexter 2, uh, to translate them into their setting. And then they could try to verify the properties that they had, um, you know, they had sort of uh, come upon from looking at the higher level source code. They could try to verify those properties of the lower level Mickelson code. So um, this is pretty cool. Um, by the way, if I've been mispronouncing something like if Mickelson is Michelson or something, just shoot me an email and, you know, uh, perform your uh, spiritual work of mercy for the day. All right. I've got to go teach my class now. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be back with more. Um, usually at the start of the season, this is the start of season three, I like to have some um, homegrown music. And uh, I think we're going to try to incorporate my son's trumpet. He's, he's six. So it's pretty pretty awesome stuff. But I need a better mic for that. So that's why we're delayed on um, <laughs> music. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. Hope you're well wherever you are. Take care.